The Inside Edge, your weekly deep dive into the world of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McElligot and Jody Shelley. Welcome to the Inside Edge. The Blue Jackets heading into the final week of training camp this week. Believe it or not, they've already played five of eight preseason games. Got a big win last night in Buffalo over the Sabres, 5-3. to three. And there are games left against Detroit, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh before it is all said and done. Jody Shelley, the Blue Jackets coming off a really good performance last night. I know you don't put too much into training camp and preseason games, but when you looked at the lineup last night, was an NHL lineup for the Blue Jackets, and there were NHL guys that were performing the way that we not only hope but expect them to throughout the regular season. Well, it's an important part of this whole process that the organization is going through because you have expectations. You've got a bit of a log jam on defense for as far as numbers. It looks like 10 guys that could uh, fight are fighting for spots. Then you've got a log jam up front with one-way contracts, but prospects pushing to take top six positions, top nine positions. So, you know, it's a healthy situation. And to say there's no stock in it, okay, for the veteran guys, I get it. There's some guys that, you know, like Nyquist last night, it was just good to see him back on the ice, back in the mix, a guy that we missed last season seeing out there with his teammates. He's got to find his role, but he's also in in a little bit of a desperation role because he wants to fit in in the top six and be a part of it. And when you see the board and you see the players and you hear the talk about other players, you get anxious. So for me, the game last night was was great for a few reasons. Uh, I thought it was interesting because Bemstrom was not penciled into play. And then yesterday morning at pregame skate, he was in. So think about that. Here's a guy who's, you know, had some pretty good moments in camp, but the game before, everyone to a man, the game he played, was just had a poor effort. So then he would have to sit out last night's game. He gets an opportunity. He shows up and scores a, a nice goal. He gets other chances out there. So when you, it's really about the old saying, once you get the opportunity, Bob, if you, you have to take the opportunities that are, that are in front of you and you can't make them up. You just have to wait for them. And he's doing that right now. This team is right now and they're making it tough on management to see where players fit in. But also, you know, there's a, there's some players on the top of the forward chain here that are highly paid players. They're, you know, Vorchek's at 7.5, Line's at 7.5, Domi's at 6, Nyquist is at 6. Those are big numbers. So, you know, there's a cap thing here. There's a lot of moving parts and decisions throughout. But if there's easy decisions to be made and hard ones, uh, the management will be happy because easy ones are going to push veteran players in positions where those contracts or, or other contracts are going to be moved along. And when you're in a, a bit of a transformation like the Blue Jackets are, Everything is on the table. So they're not just saying, we've heard it, you've heard it in camp for the last, what, how long have you been involved with this? 25, 30 years? Yeah. You've heard it every year. Oh, there's jobs available. You know, but, yeah, and knowing darn well, there's not a job available. Right. But, you know, you, and you train all summer and you're out the door within three days. Now, here in the, with the Blue Jackets, there are jobs available and it is wide open. And I think that's a very, very healthy place for this team to start this season. And let's start with Emil Bemstrom, who you brought up. It was a good goal that he had last night. What was even more impressive about it is he attacked the defenseman at the blue line, stole the puck, went in on a breakaway, forehand, backhand, and scored. It was real nice. Every part of it was effort, and it was nice. And you're right. In Detroit, he was invisible. And a lot of guys were on that list, right, in Detroit on yeah, Saturday I think night. Every, yeah. And uh, But 
with him, and I've been talking about this. Look at this year. Does he fit in the top six right now? No, he does not. So now you're automatically in the bottom six. Are you going to be on the third line? The Chinikov kid is pushing to be there at least. So now you're looking at being on the fourth line. And is he a prototypical fourth-line player? No, he's not. Justin Danforth, who's in this camp, is more of a prototypical fourth-line player. And in some other years, maybe Danforth would be on a two-way contract and Bemstrom's on a one-way contract or something like that. But that is not the case. I mean, really, either of these guys could technically wind up in the American Hockey League, and that's where that competition uh, comes out. Danforth doesn't play last night. Bemstrom gets a chance. Who are we talking about today? The guy that took advantage of that opportunity and had a good game. And now what's Danforth got to do? He's got to sit through a day off here today with the Blue Jackets. It was a day off earlier. And now he's got to get ready for tomorrow and have a great practice and hope he's in the lineup and see what he does. But I will, you know, while you were talking, I thought of this, Bob. You are a radio uh, broadcaster in the National Hockey League, not just because you practice at it, not just because you, you went and studied it and you're great at it, but you also understood opportunity elsewhere. And, and I, I say that when I look at an off season. Bemstrom can't and guys like that can't come to camp and then see the have the anxiety. It's got to be in April, May, June, July, and August where you're like every single day you're like, no, I have to be ready for that day or that moment when I do get in front of um, whoever's doing the hiring or the for in, in this instance in hockey, it's the management in camp to show that all these guys that I'm hearing about are signing or prospects that are coming in have no chance. And that was that's the fire you have to have to make sure that these decisions are handled. And you have to prepare like it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? You have to be so anxious about it. So that's where, you know, you don't usually get second and third opportunities, but for first-round picks you do. And I think that Bemstrom is getting a real healthy look here, and he should – because he has a talent, and we all think it's it's a guy who could be here, but he's getting pushed, and it's always how he reacts, how players react. So right now, last night he did a good job, but he's got to be prepared to come and do more tomorrow. And it, it's as a player and as an individual, as a professional, like you know, it's it's a lot of sleepless night and anxious moments, but you, that's why you work for it. And part of the reason for that is because Igor Chinikov, Cole Sillinger, they continue to push. These guys have just come in here like two men on a mission. They get the opportunity to play in games. They show up. You don't have to score to show up. It's just the way that you play, the way you handle yourself. And I think, you know, here we are five games into it, three games left, and these guys, every time they've been on the ice, you've seen them. You've noticed them. Yeah, and, and sometimes you haven't noticed them, and that's been good. And I think that sometimes with young players is they lose that consistency. And, and But when you have guys that understand their role to a T and they understand where they fit in and you watch them before practice or the first players out, after practice are the ones that are always picking up the pucks. There's intangibles. There's likability. Uh, you see veterans helping them, uh, pushing them, uh, there to talk with them. You can see that they're pros, and, and you know that's a big deal. And I think you're right, but there's the moments where you expect them to do something, win a face-off, shoot a puck off the post, make the goalie, uh, surprise the goalie. We've seen it out of those two. And this, these battles are going on at every position. You talked about nine or ten defensemen that there's two spots. They know who four of them are going to be. There's, there's two spots available to play here, and that'll probably alternate even once the season starts as to who's going. But what about in goal? What we're talking about with these forwards, the exact same thing is going on in goal right now. Elvis Brzezlikin's got the contract extension. That's great. 
He played on Saturday in Detroit. He didn't have one of his best games. I'm not I'm not hanging it on him. I mean, it was a team effort, but he had to endure that. He watches Jonas Corposalo come out last night, play his first preseason game, and play really well through two periods in that one against Buffalo. Uh, Daniil Tarasov had a very good game last week at home. I know he gave up two in the third period last night, but he's also showing that it's showing that he's going to be able to play in this league. So there you've got another competition. It's it's across the board, these competitions. Yeah. And who doesn't love a goaltender uh, controversy, right? I mean, that's <laughs> – I feel bad for Jonas Corposalo. Maybe it's just my sensitive side, but he saw Elvis get the extension. What does that do to you? If, if that's you or that's me, I know how I feel about it. I'm not happy. And he, I'm surprised at how positive he is. He looked great last night in Buffalo. Uh, he's a guy that's now back in this grind. He's not a guy – and I think we said this a couple of years ago when Bobrovsky left. He's never going to be the guy or he's not – it's going to be a long time before he's the guy in the National Hockey League that can feel comfortable. He may never feel comfortable, but he's got to grind through these things, and it's a mental toughness situation. So uh, it's a healthy battle when you have a guy like Corposalo who can handle that t- t- uh, type of noise outside but focus on himself. It's good for the team. Again, I've said that a few times. But, uh, yeah, and then you throw Tarasov in the mix. So they understand the dialogue. They know where they fit in. Um, you know, the pressure's on one guy one night, one guy the next, and I think it's all uh, – it's, it's fun for us to watch. That's no question. Right now we're going to step aside, but when we return, we'll be joined by Blue Jackets Director of Player Personnel and General Manager of the Cleveland Monsters, Chris Clark, here on the Inside Edge on 97.1 The Fan. If you have a child between the ages of 5 and 9 who wants to play hockey, the Blue Jackets Get Out and Learn program offers the opportunity to try hockey at no cost to you. Each participant will receive a free jersey, stick, and knit gloves to keep. Exclusive co-ed and girls-only sessions now available for Saturday, October 16th. Go to bluejackets.com backslash goal for more information. Welcome back to the Inside Edge. I'm Bob McElligot alongside of Jody Shelley. We are joined right now by Chris Clark, and he is the Blue Jackets Director of Player Personnel. He is also the General Manager of the Cleveland Monsters, so we're going to talk a lot about what uh, we've seen in camp so far. And, oh, Chris, by the way, you have a roster now in Cleveland. You actually have a team there. But you've been with this group since Traverse City. You've been watching what's been going on the entire time. And the first thing I want to ask you is, how has what you've seen this year different uh, differed from what you've seen in the past couple of years, just in the talent that you've seen starting in Traverse City, continuing through camp, and kind of the push that there is from some of the, the young players to – you know, either make the other guys that have been here better or to take their spots and get on this roster. Yeah, I, I think starting in Traverse City, it was, it was great. We had, a, we had an unbelievable mix of uh, some talented guys up front and then the bottom six guys with their talent, they had a lot of grit. And I think, uh, you know, when the, when the talent was there, it got us the goals and the grit kind of saved the games for us a little bit and kind of especially with a very talented Toronto team kind of pushed them around and and, uh, you know, won all the puck battles in the corners in the front of the net, and I thought that was great. And it was something that I had, I had planned on, I'd, I'd like to see, and, and you know, it, it it was great to see that they actually put that in motion, and we had a lot of uh, and the leadership with some of our young guys, even Dunn, who's a, a young guy, but he was a, a great leader for that college uh, um, captain as well. So and with him and uh, Meyer down there, I, th- I thought it was great. Is it important to have a captain in that tournament? I mean, here you're looking at an NHL team that doesn't have a captain right now, but Josh Dunn did fill that role. Is it just for what you said, just somebody that is – lightning rod's not the right word here, but a focus point, right, for those other young players? 
It is because um, it, it's a quick tournament. You know, we're we're, the, we're we're practicing one day beforehand. We're we're playing the next day, uh, four games and five nights. So you just want somebody to to make sure that the guys are doing the right things. Um, they're always looking. We got a lot of young guys that come in, a lot of eighteen year olds. This is their first time playing in uh, in an environment like that. So you'd like to have you know the leadership group where you know with Dunn and Meyer and and Angle and guys like that who have played in the NHL games played in the, in, uh, the American League. They just they, they know what to do. They know how to be a professional because it is a professional tournament. I want to ask you, Clarky, because I know your path uh, when I met you in St. John with the Flames, but before that you played college. Um, there wasn't a prospects tournament in the offseason uh, back then that I recall. Nope. Uh, but your first experience with the training camp and were, you, you were a draft pick or how did that work for you in, in college? Draft pick, yeah, but it was four years prior. I uh, went to the four years in, in college and, and then my first experience was training camp. In Calgary? In Calgary, yep. yep. And that's always, I mean, that was a wild, that was the Wild West back then, Bob. I mean, it was like, I, I felt bad for you guys because we were fighting every five minutes and games took seven hours <laughs> and Clarky was out there trying to play hockey. No, I was I was right in that mix with you. It, every, almost every practice, because practices back then, um, were, there were fights in practice. So I was, I think I had to fight a day for the first seven days, whether it was a game, uh, preseason game, or in practice. It was it was just, and I had to get over that. For myself, I wanted to do it because that's the way I played, and I didn't mind it. But it was also being a college guy back then. Yeah, you know, they get that reputation of having a mask on, shying away. Yeah. yeah, exactly, and. And with Daryl Sutter or uh, Brian Sutter yeah, Brian, being yeah. the co- the coach at the time, it was it was just something that you know I didn't mind it, and I wasn't going after the Jody Shelleys, yeah. but I was in the corners, and it just happened. It wasn't nobody was looking for it; they just happened, and um, everything was always so competitive in training camp because you were always doing battle drills, you were always doing this, and then I think we played Edmonton's uh, bar- um, prospects a couple times as well. Um, so it just you know, like you said, the games. <laughs> <laughs> it, took a lot it was haywire. Then. So, did someone give you that advice? Because now I, I look back at you know the previous couple of years you were playing, doing player development, and I bet you there's a number of players who said, "Boy, I'm glad Chris Clark pulled me aside and gave me that advice." Did someone tell you that to, to get into it in, in those camps? Not really. Um, I, I think it just came because competitive play. You know, it, it wasn't like something I, like I said. I wasn't going into it looking for it or wanting to do it just to show everybody. But it was something that just happened, and it it happened a lot more now. You guys almost shake hands and yeah. go back to the the face off circle. But back then, it was just you're just frustrated, pushing, shoving, whatever it was. It just happened. Yeah, and it, it and and I think that's the way. If fighting stays in the games, that's the way it should be a lot of times because it's just frustrations and guys, you know, battling and and the will to to want the puck and stuff like that. That's where I think hockey and fighting meshes. Um, the kind of stage stuff that's that's out of the game a little bit more, it, it's probably a good thing. I agree. So unlike you, who had to be told to quit fighting yeah. in a game, <laughs> it that came organically. That was my advice. It came organically <laughs> for him, but for you. Well, he's hard to play against, which is the bottom line. Like face-offs, in the corners, relentless on pucks. And, and he's on in all those situations. So, yeah, people are like, get out of here, you know. <laughs> Where me, it was more like, hey, I see you in warm-up, and like, hey, uh, it's all table set. We're just going to get this done until the general manager comes down and says, can you guys stop fighting? We want to see you try to play hockey. Yeah, we know you can fight. <laughs> yeah, we, you've heard it. it. We, yeah. <laughs> no more. Yeah. Talking with Chris Clark, uh, he's a director of player personnel for the Blue Jackets. 
I'm glad you guys went this way because I want to ask you, I was talking about this on a broadcast last week, the college game. It used to be, as you just said, you were a college boy, right? When you guys were coming through, there were the junior guys and then there were the college boys. And, and that, that it wasn't exactly the path. There, it was a path, but it wasn't a uh, very highly taken path at that time. Now things are different. I mean, now the Canadian kids come down and they go to U.S. college and get an education and a degree and play hockey. And and now you're in, uh, as Jody said, you were in a development role. You're in this player personnel role. How do you see that that has changed? What has made college hockey so appealing now? And, and why are so many guys going from the NCAA to the NHL? It's it's It seems like a longer runway. You know, not a lot of guys are ready at 20 years old. You know, if you're drafted – and you, you go to junior at 20 years old, you, you have to make that decision. We have to make that decision. Are they ready? Do we, do we give them a contract? And, and sometimes, and for 90% of the guys, they're not ready two years after they're drafted. You know, it takes time. Um, everybody's on their own timeline. Some like to get there faster than others. But I, I think it's, it's something that with uh, – and, and drafting European players as well. We get the four years. So you get four years to figure out if we want to sign a college player and a, and a European and I just think some guys need that longer runway. And even free agents, where they're, when I went to school, most of the guys were 18, 19. Now they're 21, sometimes 22-year-old freshmen. And after their three or four years, but after a couple of years, scouts are looking at them like, oh, I, we're going to watch this guy. And then their junior year, they got 15 teams after him. And they're going to come in as a rookie, just like a 20-year-old 20 20-year-old 20 rookie, but they're 24. So you, you look at their birth dates, they might not be as far along or they're farther along in, in birth, but they're mature. They, they've hit their stride. They, they've got that. So I think the college hockey is, is, you know, a lot of agents are pushing their guys to go that way because they know if they're a little bit smaller, a little bit undersized uh, physically, they, they have that time to uh, mature. Do you guys still look at that practice time in college as compared to the junior schedule is basically an NHL schedule, right? I mean, you're, you're playing 80 games. And in college, you're basically playing weekends, and you have the entire week to practice. Do the scouts still put a lot on that as far as development, that practice time? It is, yeah. And and a lot of, that's your biggest – you're going to make your biggest gains from 18 to 24 years old. Like you're going to put on all the weight, all the muscle, all that stuff, and it, you're going to maintain it the rest of your years. And then, you know, as we know, getting older, it, it trails off. But Long gone, Clarky. Long gone. <laughs> Skinny, fat guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that development that you're going to put on, some guys can put on 20 pounds. You know, they might grow an inch from 18 to whatever, or they're stopped growing, but they're going to grow with muscle and maturity and all that stuff. So it is something we see guys coming in as a, you know, you draft a guy, it's 160 pounds, all of a sudden he's 185 pounds by the time he's a sophomore. Um, so it's, it's something we're definitely looking at. What are some of the intangibles that you look for in the person? that you guys are trying to find like you know there's character everyone talks about character hockey sense is a real fun thing to throw around um but are there certain things that 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 you look for and maybe to add on that have you had a discussion with is there a unique discussion you've had with a bus driver a janitor or someone at a hotel that's really you've got some great information from yeah he, our scouts are unbelievable at that stuff they're getting if they're going through the draft especially the first couple of rounds if they're going to pick a guy in the first definitely the first or the second early second round they are doing way more homework on these guys than you would think you know they're talking to teachers like you said they're talking trainers trainers are big 
because they're yeah. they're you know they know everything. They're around the guys way more than the coaches, way more than everything else. Um, fillet families, if they're a junior guy, uh, coaches, professors, you know, if, oh, yeah. if it's something like that, if they're already in school. Um, so it, yeah, it's it's definitely something for for myself. I'm a, a step ahead of that where I'm already talking to the drafted our own drafted guys. But it, it's the same thing. I'm going to talk to the trainers. You know, I know a lot of the coaches. I'm 10 years into it now, so I know a lot of the coaches. And, you know, they're going to promote their players, but they're not going to discredit their own uh, validity. And, you know, right. they don't want to say something and they come back and bite them because they want to have that relationship with the NHL teams as well. So they're going to be honest. Um, and a lot of them are honest, and they'll, they'll say, this guy needs this and that. And, you know, maybe his his, his play or his, uh, his work ethic away from the rink. You know, at the rink, he's great. But what is he doing afterwards? So that's something we, we kind of, as development coaches and being in development, will dig into because coaches, and it's easy to, to be told what to do and, you know, follow the group. But what are you doing those other 22 hours when you're away from the rink? You know, you can do a lot of yeah. a lot of destruction because my three things are if you're eating right, you're sleeping right, and you're training right, you, you take out one of those, you, you train right and you sleep right, but you're not eating right, you just, you're, you're ruining the whole thing so you take one of those out and a lot and the whole you know the whole thing is gone so it's it's something we like to to make sure the guys because they're young they don't know they're invincible in mm -hmm. life and you know they think they can eat mcdonald's or whatever they're doing play video games at three in the morning it's not hurting them well, i'm not going out wait a minute that's yeah, not good for you <laughs> dang it it's <laughs> it's fine <laughs> but if you got to get up at seven and you're on the you know online till three in the morning you know, they don't really, I wasn't going out. I was like, yeah, but you're not resting either. You know, you're, it, it's something that it, they just need to mature. Some guys mature, you know, really quickly. Something happens in their life and they get it. And other guys need, need a little bit more time. We'll have more with Blue Jackets Director of Player Personnel, Chris Clark, as the Inside Edge continues here on 97.1 The Fan. Make sure you're at Nationwide Arena for opening night, presented by Nationwide. It'll be Thursday, October 14th, when the Blue Jackets take on the Arizona Coyotes. Limited tickets remain for that game. For more information, text the word GAME to 26791. This is the Inside Edge. We're joined by Blue Jackets Director of Player Personnel and General Manager of the Cleveland Monsters, Chris Clark. When you're building your roster in Cleveland right now and you look at some holes, and it's a fine line, isn't it? Because you want to develop the players that the Blue Jackets have in mind and maybe beyond that, but you also want to win. So how do you balance that? It's tough. And in, it's tough with coaches. It's easier with me. It's tough with coaches because right. coaches want like. They're competitive. They're just like the players. They're ex-players. They're going to win this game no matter what. And a lot of times they will put in the guys. Because there's guys in the in the minor leagues that are better than our prospects. You know, they're older. They're more mature. They've been through it. And they're definitely better. But our prospects, when given the chance, will be better. You know, they will be NHL prospects. Um, where sometimes an AHL guy is an AHL guy at this point. Or maybe a call-up. But, you know, there, there's times where these you talk, you talk to you got to have that fine balance because you want to win because that's part of development right and yeah. you want to but you need to develop the players and sometimes it, it you take a step back in winning to develop a player so it's um this year we we don't have a lot of prospects you know NHL prospects coming in that are just turning pro um uh, so we have we have a great uh opportunity for some of these free agents who are still prospects but they're free agents and even if they have an American League contract we tell these guys you know what Yarmo he's, he's done it in the past if if you're NHL and you're ready and we need to flip the contract, then 
have at it. We, you know, we did it with Carson last year. Uh, Angle was a prospect anyway. Uh, Carson was as well, but you know, he didn't have the greatest um, beginning to his college career, but he showed he's a better pro than he is a college player. Um, so that's something. Uh, Gerby a couple of years before that. Uh, Steph Mateau, they've all outplayed their American League contracts, and we've given them chances. So where are your – do you pull up from the East Coast League then, or do you have free agency keep your eye on, or is it both? both. I think this is the most fascinating thing, <laughs> you finding players. Right. Because when they're not under contract, tell us how you do yeah, You lose two or three. I mean, you're like, okay, we need to put a roster yeah. together, or you get an injury. The last couple of years, I've been doing this for two years now. They've been COVID years, but <laughs> yeah. even my first year doing it, we didn't have an East Coast League affiliate. This year we do. We have Kalamazoo, which will be great because I'll have – you know, four or five players. Uh, one of our goalies will be there, so that'll be that's that'll be easy. You know, hey, we lost a player. I know to call him Nick Bootland. Hey, we need uh, who's your best forward? Who's your best D? Prior to that, we had you know we'd keep a couple extras, so we'd have you know 24 on the roster, and they'll they'll go like that. Like we'll lose a player, Columbus will lose a couple players. Guys are gone. It's it's 11 o'clock after, and if I happen to be at the game or not at the game, or Columbus calls, hey, we need a player. I'm like, okay. Now we're down to 17, or <laughs> we're down to 16. Can you be like, so. okay, take this guy, take this guy, or are they like, no, we want nope. this guy? Yeah, we want the, who's your best? Sometimes it's who's your best, or sometimes it's we need a center, or we need a guy okay. to fill the fourth line role, or whatever it is. Um, but it, it's, you know, luckily we have five East Coast League teams within three hours. Uh, Wheeling, Toledo, uh, Kalamazoo, Fort Wayne, Cincinnati, um, Indianapolis. And they are trying to get their players. Some of those players, half of those players will be affiliated with an American League team. Half of those players will be uh, free agents. So I'll just I'll call a coach. And it was great because I didn't know any of these coaches. My first year, I knew them personally. I had their number. They're like, yeah, all right, what do you need now? They they knew when I was calling at 11 o'clock at night. They knew something was going on. It wasn't just to say on. hi. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and they're the same way. They're, I'm, I'm taking their best players. So they're constantly evolving. So, But it was just something they're trying to. East Coast League is great. You know, they're, they've got affiliates, but they also have free agents. So they're recruiting constantly in the summertime. These coaches are the GMs for the most part of their teams. They're recruiting guys in. So they'll say, hey, you know what, I, I got four guys last year, um, games in Cleveland. And they're like, oh, you have a relationship with Cleveland? He's like, yes. And I have a relationship with this team and this team and this team, and we've got these players. So if you're good enough, you know, your name will be on top of the list when they call. So it was, it was something where I – you know, had the list of these teams, and I was calling, and they're like, "Yep," but it was it was something where I wouldn't go back to them the next week when I needed a player because there was a there was a stretch a couple of years ago before Christmas where we were losing a player game, Columbus was losing a player game, and it was it was constant. I'm on you know booking flights if they're you know they could have been on the road too. It's not as easy as them being three hours away. They could have been farther west, and I'm booking flights for them at midnight and talking to them. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, we got well, we got a game tomorrow, and you got to be at the airport at six, so." <laughs> or your flight's at six, and you got four hours of sleep. Um, I think one of the guys that you deal with is Jody, your former teammate in Syracuse, Dan Watson, who yep. runs the, oh, yeah. yep. the uh, Toledo Walleyes now, too, right? Absolutely, yeah. He he's been great, and and the best thing about it is they they know they're losing their best player, just like I do to to Columbus, but they're they want to see the guys succeed. They're, oh, they're, yeah. they're players, they're their ex players. They've done it before. They've been in the same position. They know they're like oh. This guy is, you know, he's been working his butt off. He deserves it. I'm like, perfect. Let's go, bring him in. Um, and it's, and just like I love to see my guys go up, even though it makes our team a little bit worse. Yeah. But it's that's what we want. That's what we're in the business for. You know, Columbus is in the business of winning 
in winning now. We're in the business of making their teams better. And the East Coast Leagues are in the, in the business of making, you know, having good teams but making the next level better too. You know, it's funny because the American Hockey League has changed so much from when you guys played in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's really not the same yeah, <laughs> in yeah, many ways. Yeah. And plus, you're dealing with a team that's in Cleveland. I mean, it's in a – you played in St. John, New Brunswick. I mean, what was there besides the Flames, right? What was going on with you guys there if you weren't doing hockey? A lot of fishing and there was a good Italian place. And that was about it, right? Lobster eating. Lobster eating. I think there was a paper mill there. <laughs> yes, there was. Yeah. You could smell it yeah. on the right days. You yeah. could smell it. <laughs> the tide came in and out every day, Bob, but that was about it. Yeah, but <laughs> dude, when, but when you look back on that, because I, I think we all tend to do this a lot after we've gotten here, and even after we stayed for a while, you realize what that development did for you, and not just as a player, but as a person, right, Chris? Oh, 100%. And it's it's something where I love that I love St. John, and like you love Syracuse, and yeah. you loved where you played in St. John a bit and other places. You learn to love the city because you have you. It's always you and your teammates. Yeah. For the most part, it didn't matter to me. It didn't matter what was out there because I was just hanging out with my teammates anyway. You know, we'll find something fun to do when we're on the road, when we're at home, and you're young and girlfriends and whatever it is. So, like my wife, my fiance at the time, she was with it, but she has a, her best friends from 15 years ago, 20 years ago, were some of those girls. Marty St. Louis' wife, oh, yeah. a couple of these. But they, they, they were going through the same things as well. So you just grow up together. And some of my same best friends are, are from the St. John days. So it's fun that way. Can I ask you how social media has changed that? Because now you're in this role, and guys still are together, but it, it's not the same, right? Because they're tapped into what's going on in the world. They're FaceTiming people all over the place, whereas you guys, there were there were no phones. Jody always tells the story about waiting in line at the pay phone so that you could call home, right? Yeah. Going in, going to the convenience store, buying the calling card so you yeah. could go to the yeah. pay phone. And you you'd call for 20 seconds and get back on the bus and eat your sub. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. How is that? Like, it's when great. You're, when you're evaluating all this stuff, what kind of an impact has that had on players, in your opinion? Well, the cell phone little story about that like if you know you're getting sent down and, and the only way to get a hold of you is at the at your phone in the hotel <laughs> you just don't go back yeah to the that's hotel. right <laughs> to go back in the lights blinking yeah, that's right it's like, oh no but you, you go back and it's like oh i missed that flight are you trying to get a hold of me i didn't realize that yeah. i wasn't back in the room um but no social media it's definitely it's, it's opened up the world you know it's it's i'm not really on it but I, the pressures that some of these players have because of social media I, I couldn't imagine it. You know, it's the pressures of everybody's got a camera phone. Um, the pressures of everybody has an opinion. You know, you could have a great game and they tell you you're bad or good, or you could have a good game and the same thing. And and it's not just your, you know, you used to have your close, your your friends, your family, your agents, your your coaches, teammates. Now you have every, you know, everybody that wants to be involved in your world could be right in your phone, what good or bad, you know. And I always tell the guys, it was always reading the paper. You're never as good as they say you are. You're never as good as they, you know, it comes out. So don't read the paper. Well, perfect. I won't read the paper. But now these guys can't get away from not reading social media. I get a notification. <laughs> yeah. You stink. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're letting them right in your pocket. And it's a good yeah. point. I've seen team- teammates at the back of the bus almost in tears in the, in the National Hockey League. And, I'm, you know, you go up and you say, why are you letting these people in your life here we are in the nhl we're at the back of the bus yeah we won you didn't have a you had a bad moment but it's people don't realize that it's overwhelming for everybody uh, when you hear those negative comments 
Last thing I want to ask you, Chris, before we let you go, you've seen Cole Sillinger and Igor Chinikov from the moment they came in to go to Traverse City. They both had very good camps. Are you going to wind up with either of those guys in Cleveland, or are they going to be here? Would I want them there? No. <laughs> no, that's not what I said. That, that's a very nice way to spin it. <laughs> All right, he's no, been okay, doing no, it for no, 10 no, years. No, listen. He, he knows right. his question. We'll, cha- we'll change it for you. Would you like either one of those guys, Chris? Oh. A hundred percent. It would be unbelievable if we got them, but I think they're, you know, they're making, and that's what Lars wants. That's what Yarmo wants. You want them to make it really hard on them. If you make it easy on them, obviously it would be the wrong way, and then that's they're not ready. But what do you do with an 18, 19 year old? Do you want them in the NHL because they're playing their way into it, and we got to make sure that's the right thing for them, or you know, is development somewhere else better for them? But they're making a really strong case for themselves to be here because you watch them in a the game. If you don't know their ages, you're like, yeah, they're NHL players. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough decision in a week here to, uh, to figure those things out. That was good management speak, wasn't it, Jody? That was good. You you got soft on them, though. I noticed that, Bob. <laughs> it is still the preseason. It is the preseason. I'll let yeah, you slide right. on that one. I want them to come back at some point in time. Yeah, right? I, yeah. I know. <laughs> that was well played. Great answer, too. But uh, that's, I mean, that's truthful because – it's exciting, too, for the organization to see these young players. But then you also think, and I always think of this, Clarkie, remember when they were talking about other people in camp and you're sitting there going, now I have to do, like when you watch a preseason game, so the guys who didn't get to play last night, now they have to, they're expected to elevate for the next game. So, you know, and who's going to play? So the competition is fierce, and that's exactly where you want to be. Yeah, you want that competition because that means you have more than enough players that are could be here. You know, you have options. When one guy doesn't, yet someone else will. Like you said, the competition. Somebody's got to rise, um, and that's what we're looking for. We're for someone to rise because we know, you know, seventy-five percent of the team because they're, you know, there are our vets, and but we're we're looking for who's who's pushing, and those guys are pushing the vets too because, you know, Cylinder and Chinnikov, they're not fourth line guys right. either. If they're gonna play, they're gonna play in the top. So that's pushing those guys up there. That all the spots aren't solidified up there. Well, thank you very much for talking to us today. We appreciate it. Glad you have a roster. I don't really want to see it get really uh, shot in the arm with either of those guys, quite <laughs> honestly, but whatever happens is going to be best for the organization. So best of luck, Chris, and uh, make sure you keep all those ECL, ECHL coaches' numbers close in your phone. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do. I do. Definitely. Thanks. That is Chris Clark. He is the Blue Jackets Director of Player Personnel and also the GM of the Cleveland Monsters. Back with more of the Inside Edge here on 97.1 The Fan. Ticket plans for the 2021-22 season on sale right now. There are options that range from full season packages to as few as two games a month, and you can pick a plan that is right for you. Plus, all the plans feature flexible payment options. For more information, text TICKET to 26791. Bob McElligot and Jody Shelley with you, getting ready to wrap up this week's Inside Edge. And, Jody, I want to ask you about the dress code in the National Hockey League. The Arizona (laughs) Coyotes have relaxed their dress code. The Blue Jackets... Over the last couple of years, people may not realize they have they've kind of backed it off a little bit on the road with these team issued uh, track suits that they have uh, they've traveled in, and uh, it looks like it's going away from the coat and tie all the time, which is what you and I have become very accustomed to throughout our careers. What are your thoughts on that as a former I, player? Yeah, I think we're getting old and crotchety, Bob. If we're complaining about this, uh, I wasn't complaining. I no, just want your opinion. I'll complain no, later. I didn't say you were complaining, <laughs> but here we are. 
and I don't like it. And that's why right, I think I'm old there and crotchety. Okay, because I just don't like it. I, I you know, there's something about the shirt and tie uh, on the road. I know the argument is, well, that we don't see anybody, and especially the past year and a half, I get it. But I'm always impressed when I see a team traveling in shirt and tie. They buy really nice suits and really nice ties, and they look sharp. Um, it's businesslike. You know, I was just listening to an interview on the radio, and um, the host was talking to the, the, the subject who's an entertainer. It was a comedian, and she, uh, like Jerry Seinfeld, would put a shirt and coat on uh, on stage because he wanted people to feel like it was a big event, and, and this lady did the same thing. She always put on her best because she was on stage, and she wanted people to feel like it was an event. I know not all people agree with that, and that's fine, but... I like it. I used to like having to carry a shirt and tie. I used to love when I wasn't in the National Hockey League and I was in the minor leagues wearing a tracksuit. And, you know, it was kind of like, because we were always on the bus and whatever, be comfortable. But when you got to the NHL, there was something about seeing that team leaving the building, uh, dressed up, you know, as a group. And, and whether you like it or not, uh, I don't like that they're relaxing it. I think, I, don't, I think it's unnecessary, and I'm sure those players will be like, oh, yeah, you're just whatever. But that's fine. That's Individual style. Yeah. That's what they want to show, their individual hey, style. Henrik Lundqvist would not like it, I'll tell you that. That guy wears a suit to get to, to check the mail. <laughs> and what's funny, what you just talked about, and I, I agree with you really on all of this because I'm old and crotchety too. But, yeah. but get off my lawn. What I noticed in traveling to the couple of road games is last year the only time I put on a suit was for a home game. And when we had the road games, we were in the building, we were calling it off TV. I didn't need to get dressed up. Nobody's going to see me. You know, you guys had to. You were on TV. But for me, I could come in here wearing anything, and I won't even paint a picture for you. But I could I could do <laughs> whatever I was. Yeah, right. I could do whatever I wanted to, and it wouldn't matter. It feels good to put a suit on yeah. and climb back on the plane and to walk into another building. Um, but again. That's all that we've dealt with all this time. So, uh, but uh, hey, times change. I guess that's yeah, respectful. I it just it's impressive to me to to get dressed up and and go to the game as that professional. Anything else going on in the league right now that is uh, that jumps out at you? I know everybody's kind of the the league is individual. It's thirty two yeah, individuals no, right now as they sort things out. A lot of teams have moved a lot of players, and there's been a lot of change in in, in many different markets, not just here in Columbus. And I know we had an exchange with. The Chicago Blackhawks with Seth Jones, but they look like a completely different team, and mostly because they got Jonathan Taves back too. They're captain. Uh, if you're going to make a bold prediction, man, that team could be one to watch. Flurry is uh, just won the Vesna Trophy, uh, and when you look in depth at a lot of these teams, Tampa, they're completely different. They've lost their they their entire third line is gone, but they still have those guys we all know: Vasilevsky, Stamkos, Hedman, Point. I mean, you're not going to move any of those guys unless you absolutely have to. Um, they brought up some of the players that we've known and we've seen in and out of the lineup in the playoffs. Um, I'm gonna, I find it very interesting, the Metropolitan Division and the Atlantic. You know, when you look at the Atlantic, Toronto's got a lot of expectations. Boston's going to be better. I mean, Nick Foligno, what a pickup for them. Well, I mean, he – he can play in your top six or he can play in your bottom six, and he's a guy that, you know, it didn't work out. He was injured in Toronto. Um, I'm kind of bouncing around the league, but the Atlantic to me is going to be stronger uh, than the Metro. I don't know why I think that. Uh, do you feel the same way? Well, yeah, because I think that – I mean, Montreal, I don't, I don't know. No, I don't – I'm not – Look, they got Carey Price. I, I think they caught lightning in a bottle at the right time last year, I and they know. got and all they the way to the And they played in the Canadian uh, 
division. Yeah. It was just like the weakest division yeah. in the league. Yeah, that's that's a fact. That's right. You know, and then they came in and they shocked Vegas. I'll get I'll give them that. But yeah. so they kind of got hot at the right time. But you look at Tampa got... and Florida and Toronto yeah. and Boston. To me, that's that's a yeah. lock. Well, in in Florida now they're spending to the cap. They think that they you know this this, they're the, yeah. they're going to make a run with this. Uh, I'm sure they're wondering if. What Sergey Bobrovsky they're going to get? They yeah, get. They, he's their number how, one. They've already much, announced it. Yeah. So, but are they going to get the guy that was the Blue Jackets Vesna Trophy winner? Well, or are they going to get the guy that last year sometimes was a third on the depth chart? Right. Well, they don't know. Listen, so we know Sergey's better with a clear mind, and Drieger's gone, and you know it's his net. So yeah. hopefully that settles him down. It's a good play by them, regardless. But you're right. Which at ten million dollars, you hope you get the eleven million dollars. Well, well yeah, and it's easy to say you're our guy and make him feel good about himself. For a but week. if he gives up three yeah. leaky goals, all of a sudden Spencer Knight is right there. That's right. He's right? not the guy. And uh, you know everybody loves a backup quarterback. Everybody loves a backup yeah. goalie. That's the way it works. And when I look at the Metro, I mean Washington's good. Uh, to me, the Rangers are going to be better than what people think yeah. i don't know i just I, you know I'm is not, it, it or is washington starting to age out finally people are saying is, that is yeah. pittsburgh starting to age out Pittsburgh's, finally the injuries you know? I, I i don't think you can ever count a Sidney crosby team out just no. the way they carry themselves they demand a lot they don't go for draft picks they're in it to win it uh so those two teams of champions that want to get back there i you don't know but you have to count them in the top four or five of the metro uh, Philadelphia is going to be better. Philadelphia is going to be a team to, to, to reckon with. Um, and I think Carolina's, I mean, even though they their goaltender situation from last year, I mean, how do you do that? How do you have a guy who's a, uh, up for the rookie of the year uh, and then they, they let him go? They let him go to Detroit. I mean, they almost beg him to go. Nadalkovich <laughs> I mean, really? was the man. They finally found their goaltender and he's gone. Mrazek is gone. And now they're they've got Freddie Anderson from Toronto, who's a good goalie, but I uh, you know I, I, I don't. But know. at crunch time in his history in this league, at crunch time he, he hasn't, hasn't been, been there. The guy, no, right? And maybe the pressure's off in Carolina, but um, yeah. When I look at the Metro, there's still good teams. Columbus is going to be a team that it's going to do better than what people think. Yep. And you watch them; are they going to have trouble scoring? Probably. Uh, but uh, they're going to be there for the dirty fight but that they always provide. Are they going to have trouble scoring? I don't know. Or, here's I, what I think. It's 82 games. There's going to be moments, yes. Okay, there will be moments. But I think, and I've talked about this during the preseason, I and I think even with my own mindset here, we have watched two-to-one games yeah, in three-to-one games and two-to-nothing games for six years here. <laughs> and I think we now better get used to watching five-to-four games, six-to-four okay. games. Like the other teams in the league. So that'd be good so for let us. Me put, right. So let me put it to you this way. I think they'll score goals. I just don't know if you can score as many as you used to and still win. You can score double the amount that you used to to win games, perhaps. You, yeah, you Is think that fair? Show, yeah, I, I, I like it. You know what I mean? It's definitely going to be a different style. I know Brad Larson's implementing a different system in the defensive zone. Looks like it's more man-on-man. His neutral zone's a little different. Looks like more of a, a right-wing lock or something. I haven't really played enough attention to it but and in the offensive zone he does have skilled players so the power play I think is going to be more of a threat how can it not be uh, I think the veteran is in there in Voracek which is going to help they're still are they the youngest team in the league again are we going to keep saying that remember. it's been it for four years but maybe they still are oh Jake might screw that up I'm yeah that's sure. fine I'm fine with that I'm fine with that but you know it's going to be different it's going to be fun and it's going to be awesome to be back in Washington, Boston, New York with the Rangers, New Jersey with the Devils, Philly with the Flyers. We didn't get to do that last year. We talked about it last show. Uh, that's where you get the juice going. So uh, a lot of fun. 
Absolutely a lot of fun. And the Blue Jackets are back at home on home ice tomorrow night. They will take on the Detroit Red Wings. Preseason game number six of eight. The puck will drop at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. And I've got the game for you right here on the fan, starting with pregame coverage at 645. I'd like to thank Chris Clark for being our guest today. That's going to do it for the Inside Edge. For Jody Shelley, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long, and thanks for listening here on 97.1 The Fan.